Hello everybody. Hi once again. Welcome to another episode on this professional CPD podcast channel where we discuss construction contracts. My name is Takamba Sidikane. Um, and again, I'm not alone. I have my colleague with me, Johan Fulyun. So we are from Ugutembega Cost Construction Cost Consultants. And today we bring you another case study similar to the previous episode. And the topic that we will be discussing today is concurrent delays. But before I do that, welcome Johan and um, thank you for joining us again. Thanks a lot, Q. Um, yeah. I think uh, on all fronts, it's firing and going again. So yeah. I think past week and so on was a was a interesting week as well. Um, learned quite a lot, I think. So definitely, definitely. So, yeah. So no, it was nice. Um, yeah, I think uh, Q. If I may, from my side, I think before we we start with concurrent delays, um, I think let me just say again, as we done in some of the previous podcasts that um, just a small disclaimer and just saying yeah. that this this is not this is not uh, legal advice and again each each scenario or case needs to be um, assessed on its merits and mm -hmm. that the parties if they dealing with concurrent delays then um, please contact somebody or definitely contact us first and then we can see if we can assist so what is meant by concurrent delays, Johan? Yeah, Q, I think uh, concurrent delays is is uh, animal of its own. But there was an article published in 2002 by John Maron, uh, and he defined concurrent delays as a period of project overrun, which is caused by two or more effective causes of delay of approximately equal causative potency, as they call it. But I think the Society of Construction Law, the SCL, um, in there, they've got a document titled Delay and Disruption Protocol, which was published in 2017. And I think they've got a very accurate de definition for concurrent delays. And I think it's, for me, as a simple person as well, and... Afrikaans person, <laughs> um, I think it's a more, for me in any event, it's a more understandable definition. And I'm, and I'm going to quote, it says that true concurrent delay is the occurrence of two or more delay events at the same time. One, an employer risk event, the other, a contractor risk event, and the effects of which are felt at the same time. For, concurrent for a concurrent delay to exist, each of the employer risk event and the contractor risk event must be an effective cause of delay to completion. In other words, the delays must both affect the critical path. So I think it's important to also remember that parties uh, sometimes also use the term concurrent delays to scenarios where, let's say, the so-called competing events either overlap or occur different times, but the delay, the, the delaying effects on the works are felt at the same time. Now, I know that this is always a contentious issue on projects. Why do you think this is the case? Yeah, Q, this, 
and I think my my view on it, um, it's maybe not generally shared in the public domain, but my view is that although the SEL provides guidelines on how to deal with concurrent delays, there's no case law, or as far as I know, there's no case law in South Africa for concurrent delays in construction. So there's no real path set out by the courts on how it must be dealt with and there's other courts in uh, or courts in other jurisdictions that um, dealt with the issue but the judgments you know were not consistent so there's not a, a straight way how it is dealt with even by the courts well you say there's no case law in south africa regarding concurrent delays so how does an adjudicator or arbitrator make an award if there is no South African case law on which the adjudicator or arbitrator can base their reasoned ruling or award? I won't say it makes it interesting, if I can call it that. Um, <laughs> and see, me personally, I've never been involved in adjudication or arbitration case where concurrent delays was the subject matter. So... Um, I think these rulings and awards uh, by an adjudicator or arbitrator or not think it's definitely the case that the rulings and awards are meant for the parties only, the parties that's involved. It's not, um, it, you know, I can say it cannot be published unless there's a litigation process afterwards and it lands in, in, a, in the public domain. So I cannot, I cannot uh, read a, arbitration uh, award or adjudication which are not say where I was not party to and so I don't know if there was I would assume that there was um, uh, cases where this this matter was uh, referenced and but I don't know what's the what's the outcome of it and how did the adjudicator or the arbitrator interpreted or looked at it or dealt with that specific matter. So, but but there's, there's reported court cases from England and Wales and Scotland which can be looked at and then the adjudicator or arbitrator must apply his, his or her mind on how the law should be interpreted in South Africa. Mm. So, and I think in addition to, to let's call it these, these judgments, um, in other jurisdictions, the SCL uh, in their delay and disruption protocol, it definitely provides some guidance in uh, specifically section 14 of the core principles, which is titled the concurrent delay effecting on entitlement to compensation for prolongation. So um, there's also leading authorities that will provide some guidance. I think there's there's lots of articles about it and um, also um, some chapters in specific uh, literature that was that's dealing with us, uh, which definitely should provide some guidance on it. So before we look at the case studies, what principles did the courts in other countries consider when dealing with concurrent delays? Yeah, okay, I think... Um, what must be said first is that there's no hard and fast rule for this. Um, as I as I mentioned previously, is that the, why this is so is that the the courts haven't been uh, consistent with regards to the matter of the concurrent delays. 
So there's, there was inconsistency in the judgments on how, how they, uh, that specific judge dealt with the matter. But um, I think to provide some examples of how the other courts looked at the concurrent delays, I think the following uh, judgments that we will be looking at are of relevance, uh, relevance in this discussion. So, and I'm not going to give the full, you know, citation of the case, um, but if it's required, then the listeners can contact us and we can provide it. Um, so, yeah, you can just contact us on info at utrccco.za. But the, I think the, this first case, this is the case of Henry Boot Construction versus Malmation, Malmation Hotels, which was um, a 1999 case in England and in Wales. So, but in this case, the judgment provided that if one of the delay events is relevant and the other is not then the contractor is entitled to full extension of time. In other words, for the full delay period, even if the other delay event is a contractor's risk event. So I think that was definitely in favor of contractors, um, as it did not matter which event is the real cause of delay. If the employer had a risk event, that will take preference above the contractor's event. So I think that would be... I think at that specific point in time, contractors uh, was fairly, <laughs> fairly glad about this uh, judgment. I think the second, the second court case was the Royal Brampton Hospital Trust versus Frederick Hammond and others. So that was just one year after the Malmason case. That was in 2000, which was also England and Wales case. In this judgment, it was decided by the judge that the Malmason case should not apply to specific scenarios. And, and I quote, it should not apply in a situation in which work already being delayed, an event occurs which is a relevant event and which, had the contractor not been delayed, would have caused him to be delayed. But which in fact, by reason of the existing delay, made no difference. So here the court decided that if the first event causes the delay, that event can be understood to be, let's, let me say, the ruling delay. It does not matter about the second delay. And this can be seen as the first past the, uh, first past the post principle. The third case, which I think is relevant, was in was the city in versus shepherd construction which is uh which was it was in 2010 and it was a scottish case and if i remember correctly offhand this went to appeal uh, and lord osborne then allowed for the dominant cause and apportionment between the competing causes and let me just quote about, I think it's about two paragraphs from Lord Osborne in that specific judgment. So he said, in the fourth place, if a dominant cause can be identified as the cause of some particular delay in the completion of the works, effect will be given to that. But leaving out of account any cause or causes which are not material, depending on whether or not the dominant cause is a relevant event, 
a claim for extension of time will or will not succeed. In the fifth place, where a situation exists in which two cases are operative, one being a relevant event and the other some event for which the contractor is to be taken to be reason responsible and neither of which could be decided as the dominant cause. The claim for extension of time will not necessarily fail in such situation, which could, as a matter of language, be described as one of the concurrent causes. In a broad sense, it will be open to the decision maker whether the architect or other tribunal appro approaching the issue in a fair and reasonable way to apportion the delay in the completion of the works occasioned thereby as between the relevant event and the other event. So, here it's clear that Lord Osborne looked at competing delay events, and if it is not clear which event is the dominant event, it is apportioned, and that apportionment is decided by, for example, the architect in a fair manner. I think the next case was the Beers um, versus ATOS region, uh, region IT services, which was also 2010 in England. In this case, this uh, city in apportionment rule was not followed, and neither in the following cases, which I'll mention. It was Ayart Abu Dhabi versus SD Marine Services, which was in 2011, which was in England, and the Walter Lilly versus McKay, which was a 2012 England case. So I think in summary, if we look at these court cases in England and Wales, the contractor is entitled to extension of time, but cannot recover cost. And in Scotland, apportionment of the delay in cost uh, is relative. So you can see that there's definitely inconsistency between the judgments. So I think can be seen that we are sitting with, and again, it's my view, we are sitting with approximately three different views. The first one is, let's call it the first past the post. If, in other words, where the event which event happened first. Then the second view is on the dominant cause of delay. So you do assessment there and see which event is the dominant event. And then also the apportionment of that specific delay if if you cannot say with certainty that this specific event is the cause of the delay then you can uh, apply apportionment to that so of these three views what is the most preferred by the court i would say that if we look at later the later judgments and it again to me it appears that the dominant cause of delay Mm -hmm. is the most preferred, but I must also say that the factual matrix must be considered as well of each scenario in each case. The And I think also the, the SEL also refers to the same type, uh, which they refer to as effective cause. So I think it's in, in this modern time period of ours, I think that's the, that's the method that will most probably be adopted. Then can we then take it that this method is the method that should be adopted by South African projects? Yes, I, th I think so. And I say so because of the guidance notes of the SCL. It also deals with, this, with the same manner, uh, with it in the same manner, with the concurrent delays. 
and it should be a good, I think, a very good persuasive argument by parties mm-hmm. um, if the if a dispute lands in front of a judicator or arbitrator. And and then can can you maybe just tell us more about the case studies that we will be dealing with today? So we'll we'll create two or three scenarios, different scenarios, and I'll give some some facts or things in between so that we can deal with that specifically and then we can assess each one on its own merits um, and I think it will be it will become clear that it is not as uh, clear cut as one would think um, like yeah, in most most of the disputes yeah, um, if, yeah if, if there is a dispute so and we'll also be looking at um, various things that needs to be considered and assessed to see which is uh, which of the events is uh, causing the delay. Mm. Okay, so when you say various things need to be considered, what are those? <laughs> I've tried to, for me, from or let me say mm-hmm. for my own sanity, I've tried mm-hmm. to um, look at the court cases and the judgments and articles which and literature that's out there, and I've tried to, in my own mind, just to. Uh, summarize it um, in a question or two or three that needs to be asked and answered. Firstly, if you look at the two events, one obviously then the employer's risk event and the other a contractor's risk event, then it needs to be established if these competing delay events causes a delay to completion, if it is considered separately. So I think that's the first thing you need to have a look at. Um, and then you determine if one of the causes of delay is more causative potency, meaning that it carries more weight in causing the delay than the other, or whether one cause of delay is the effective cause of delay to uh, completion. And then the third one, uh, you need to determine if the second delay is in fact delaying completion or is the completion of the works already delayed by the first event. And the second event has then therefore no further impact on the time for completion. I think that's in essence the the guidelines which I could gather and summarize for myself. Then let's just jump straight to scenario one. The scenarios that we will create is simple scenario as each case must be decided on its own merits and taking all of the facts into consideration. So this is simple examples. Yeah, so let's let's start. So in the first one, so let's say the contractor experienced delay, which is an employer risk event. So let's call this delay one. And this delay one is for a duration of 20 working days. On day 10 of that delay, the contractor experienced another delay, which is as a a result of the contractor's own default. So let's call that delay, delay two. So delay one, 20 working days, for for a duration of 20 working days is the employer's risk event. And the one that started on day 10 is for the contractor's uh, or a contractor's risk event. Delay two, this delay ceased on day 15. So remember that delay one's duration is for 20 working days. So in other words, the contractor's delay event ceased 
five days prior the event, uh, prior prior the end of the employer's delay. So the contractor's delay event started after the employer's delay event and ceased before the employer's delay event ceased. So the contractor's delay, the delay two, is subsumed by the employer's delay, which is obviously delay one. So to establish the entitlement, the three questions which I've mentioned earlier needs to be answered. The first question is, is the complete uh, the competing delay events uh, that they cause a delay to completion if it is considered separately? So in this specific scenario, so let's say that the employer's delay event is uh, giving access to site and the contractor's delay event is the submission of, let's call it health and safety documentation for approval. Um, so in this scenario, it will be clear that these items are both on the critical path. So we've answered that. Both of them uh, will cause a delay to completion if considered separately. So the second question then uh, is to determine if one of the causes of delay has more causative potency than the other or whether one cause of delay is the effective cause of delay to completion. So in this specific scenario, it can be seen that the employer's event is the effective cause of delay to completion. And I think that's a, that's just a test that uh, is done. And But in this specific scenario, that's clear. So the third question is you need to determine if the second delay, in other words, the contractor's delay, is in fact delaying completion or is the completion of the works already delayed by the first event? And the second event has no further impact on the time for completion. So I think in this specific scenario, it is also fairly simple as the employer's delay event already delayed the completion. And the other part is that that specific, the, the delay to the contractor's risk event uh, did not delay the works as it was fully subsumed by the employer's risk event. So it, uh, the second delay had no further impact on the time for completion. So I think generally in this type of scenario, the contractor should be entitled to the full 20 working days extension of time. I must say these scenarios are going to be very helpful. Please, Johan, let's let's have a look at scenario two. So yeah, so um, let's say the Again, the contractor experienced the delay, which is due to its, his uh, own default. Again, let's call this delay one. This duration of delay one was for 10 working days. And on day five of delay one, the contractor experienced another delay, which is as a result of the, uh, an employer's risk event. So again, let's call this one delay two. This delay which is delay two, was for a duration of 20 working days. So in other words, the employer's delay started five days after the contractor's delay event started and ceased 15 days after the contractor's delay event has ceased. So in other words, in this scenario, we have an overlapping period of five working days between the two delays. 
So again, if we start, we look at the three questions, as we said in scenario one, and I'm just going to repeat them quickly, and then we will deal with the with the scenario. So the first one, so establish if these competing delay events causes a delay to completion, if it is considered separately. Second one is then determine if one of the causes of delay has more causative potency than the other, or whether one cause of delay is the effective cause of delay to completion. And then the third one is also determine if the second delay is in fact delaying completion, or is the complete, uh, completion of the works already delayed by the first event, and the second event has no further impact on the time for completion. So let's assume that both these events, event delays, uh, completion, if it's considered separately. So we say, yes, both of them is on a critical path. And let's say that when you examine the facts, the facts indicate that the two events are of equal causative potency. So then there's a concurrent delay for the period of overlap. In other words, for that five days, there's a concurrent delay for that period. So in this case, it will most probably be found that the contractor is entitled to the full delay period of the employer's delay, which is uh, 20 working days. And that is because there's, there was an equal causative potency assessment on the overlapping period. So if you examine the facts, and the facts indicate that the employer's delay event was not, was not the effective cause of the delay, the contractor will probably only be entitled to 15 working days for extension of time. Thanks for that, Johan. Sure, that's 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 very insightful um, cases that you're sharing with us. And, and what about scenario three, please? Yeah, okay, before I start with scenario three, I, I, yeah, mm -hmm. again, it's simple, simple scenarios, but I think it will definitely assist with some some principles to look out for and how it will in mm. probability be looked at. Most definitely. So, yeah, okay, so scenario three, let's say the contractor experienced a delay, which is an employer's risk event. So again, let's call this one delay one. And this period of delays for 20 working days. So on day 10 of delay one, the contractor experienced another delay, which is as a result of its own default. So again, contractor's delay event is then, let's call it delay two. So this delay was for duration, uh, delay two was then for a duration of 10 working days, which caused both delay events to cease on the same day. Right. So again, we start with the three questions, as we mentioned previously, and I'm just going to repeat them quickly again. So first one is you established if these competing delay events cause causes a delay to completion, if it is considered separately. And then the second one is you determine if one of the causes of delay is more causative potency than the other, or whether one cause of delay is the effective cause of delay to completion. And the third one is to determine if the second delay is in fact delaying completion or is the completion of the works already delayed by the first event and the second event has no further impact on the time for completion. So 
let's again, let's assume that both these uh, events delays completion if it's considered separately. So first question answer. Then uh, let's say that when you examine the facts, the facts indicate that the two events are of equal are of equal causative potency. Then there's a concurrent delay for the period of overlap again. In other words, for the 10-day period. So in, in this case, it will most probably found that the contractor is entitled to the full delay period of the employer's delay, which is then 20 working days. And if you examine the facts and the facts indicate that the employer's delay event was the effective cause of the delay, the contractor will in most probability also be entitled to 20 working days of extension of time. So it can be seen that that it all goes about the, the um, it's about the three questions. So the events needs to be assessed uh, and the questions answered to determine if there's entitlement or no entitlement. So do the standard forms of contracts deal with the concurrent delays though? I think that's a that's a good <laughs> question because of the of the matter at the end, if I can call it that. Let me let me say this, and then you you, you will see what I what I mean with it. So, all right, not a single standard form of contract deals expressly expressly with concurrent delays, right? The GCC, I think it's the third edition. I think it's got one sentence regarding that, and it in essence only states that. Concurrent delays shall be taken into consideration, um, but it doesn't. It 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 doesn't deal with the matter of how it needs to be assessed. Or what I could see and what I know is that the the 2017 edition of FIDIC um, attempted to deal with this contentious matter of concurrent delays, and so uh, the FIDIC Red Book uh, the two. 2017 Sweeter um, attempted to deal with this matter and it introduced uh, in clause 8.5 and let me just read it. It says, if a delay caused by a matter which is the employer's responsibility is concurrent with a delay caused by a matter which is the contractor's responsibility, the contractor's entitlement to e extension of time shall be assessed in accordance with the rules and procedures stated in the particular conditions. And if it is not stated as appropriate taking due regard of all relevant circumstances. So I think it's 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 good that this is uh this was brought in into the 2017 edition. It's a pity that it couldn't happen earlier. But the I I hope that the engineers and the employers do not delete this clause uh in the particulars and provide you know some some guidance mm -hmm. of how the concurrent delay issues and matters will be dealt with i think that's very important so i'm glad yeah. that 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 was actually introduced it should be it should be done by i think all the standard forms of contract so in your opinion what can parties to a contract do to remove uncertainty or potential disputes related to concurrent delay events. Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a it's a good question, and it will definitely get uh, 
you know, the brain juices flowing. Um, and I think it also links on what the, uh, on, on your previous question. Um, we know now that the 2017 Fiddy condition has got that um, clause in, which ref uh, refers back to the particular conditions, which then must be obviously filled in by the, the engineers or the employer. But with the other forms of contract or general conditions of contract, which that does not deal with it, I would I would think generally the party should actually during negotiation stage sit down and say, listen, if this matter arises, then how are we going to deal with it? And go through the principles of how it needs or should be assessed by the engineer or the architect uh, or the employer's uh, representative. It it will just it will save money if the uh, issue like this arise because it won't be disputed or it can just be disputed. But as long as there's these rules. Um, you know, set down and agreed and forms part of the contract, it will definitely, it will, it creates a, a, a situation where the parties know how it needs to be dealt with. So I think that's, that, uh, that would be important for me to, to, to start those uh, negotiations and things like that included into the contract. And I also think that you know the as we as we mentioned the SEL provides I think very good guidance of how to uh, how to deal with concurrent delays and let me just give the listeners some um, sections where they can go and have a look at I think if you look at the protocol of SEL if you look at the core principle section ten which is titled uh, concurrent delays effect on entitlement to T, uh, EOT. And I'm going to read this specific part, and then I think the the listeners would also be able to go back and have a look at it and, you know, just to digest it a bit. So this one, it states that true concurrent delay is the occurrence of two or more delay events at the same time, one an employer risk event, the other a contractor risk event, and the effects of which are felt at the same time. For concurrent delay to exist, each of the employer risk event and the contractor risk event must be an effective cause of delay to completion. So in other words, the delay must affect the critical path. Where contractor delay to completion occurs, or as an effect concurrently with the employer delay to completion, the contractor's concurrent delay should not be, should not reduce any extension of time due. So in other words, the contractor should be entitled for a concurrent period. I think that's in essence what it states. Then in core principle section 14, which is titled concurrent delay, effect on entitlement to compensation for prolongation. So let me, let me just read what it says. It says, where employer delay to completion and concurrent delay to completion are concurrent. And as a result of that delay, the contractor incurs additional costs. Then the contractor should only recover compensation if it is able to separate the additional costs caused by the employer's delay from those caused by the contractor delay. If it would have incurred the 
if it, the contractor, would have incurred the additional costs in any event as a result of the contractor's delay. The contractor will not be entitled to recover those additional costs. So I think it's a fair mechanism or guidance which the SEL provides. And um, you know, it's principles like this, I think, should be included, mm. negotiated, mm. talked about, and agreed between the parties um, at the time of negotiation. And this definitely gives everyone an opportunity to actually apply their minds at that negotiation stage. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's, yeah. it's, I think it goes without saying because this is a, is a matter which, which, as I say, makes the brain juices flow a bit. Eh? <laughs> definitely. Most definitely. Gets one thinking. Well, with that being said, applying our minds and getting our creative mental juices flowing. Thanks a lot, Johan. This was very insightful. And I know that both you and I share the same sentiment that this is information we wish we had at our disposal, even from varsity level or up to the first two years of, of um, being employed and working on projects. But nevertheless, we certainly hope that this information is at least adding value to one person and that would be one project and that one project would be impacting many other professionals. That's one thing for sure. So thank you very much. We've come to the end of our episode for today. Um, and please just remember that you may contact us um, at info at uccc.co.za. You may email us at info at uccc.co.za we certainly look forward to our next episode in this series that we are running and thank you very much um, you may also go onto the website for professional cpd where you'd get more um, resources linked to 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 our courses and 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 to 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 podcast links if you want to so until next time thank you very much <laughs>